Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Special podcast today as we commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I know if you are old enough, you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing on that fateful morning. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Whether it's leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem They've got a fix for you, and their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. 20 years ago, 9-11, and for me personally, growing up on Long Island and watching those buildings being constructed, being in those buildings a number of times, both towers, I remember the last two times I was once in the Windows on the World restaurant, which is at the top of one of the towers. I remember it like yesterday, June 17th, 1978. I was there with my girlfriend from college. We were celebrating my birthday, which was June 18th. And, you know, what do I remember the most about that night is getting into a taxi and they had the Yankee game on on the radio and Ron Guidry was pitching against the Angels. And when we got in the taxi, it was the ninth inning and Phil Rizzuto was on the call going crazy. And Ron Guidry ended up striking out 18 Angels that night. And it's amazing what you remember from a nice night out. But that, that's what I remember more than anything was the game in the cab listening to the, the, the top of the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium with Louisiana Lightning uh, striking out so many angels. And then the second and last time, and I was in there many times, but the last time I was in the tower was uh, in the summer of 1986. I was on the outdoor uh, observation deck. My dad worked a block from the Trade Center after he had moved his office from uh, 42nd Street right across the street from... Uh, Grand Central Station. He moved his insurance business one block from the tower. And I remember, uh, depending on which subway station we would get off at when I went to work with him or went to visit him, I remember walking up the steps of the subway station to the street and the tower was right in front of you. And as you walked up the step, the tower just kept getting bigger and bigger and it got higher and higher and higher, and I'll just never forget 
I'll never forget that view walking out of the subway station. But, you know, very often I would uh, go to the Twin Towers uh, with my dad, whether it was to get somewhere, whether it was to grab lunch, whatever the case may be. Um, And so those are the personal meetings for me. Uh, I remember going to, you know, so many New York Giants games at the Meadowlands and our seats were in the southeast corner of the stadium. Now, once you're in the stadium and you're sitting down, you can't see the city. But as soon as you walk to the concourse, you can see all of Manhattan and particularly lower Manhattan. And when we used to, there was four areas that you could walk into the stadium for the most part. And we we used to walk into the corner of the end zone where our seats were when you came out I mean, the trade centers were literally, I mean, not exaggerating, they were right in front of you. It's really the only thing and the first thing that you would see. But I remember exactly where I was on 9-11, and I remember waking up and getting all of these messages, as my then-wife was, and I remember watching on TV, the first plane had already struck the tower, again, West Coast time, big difference. And I remember watching the second plane, and I remember watching the first tower crumble and the second tower crumble. And about 30 minutes later, my doorbell rang, and my then wife was a flight attendant for American Airlines based out of San Francisco. So you can imagine what would be going through the mind of a person who had a loved one in the tower, had a loved one on any of those flights or worked for either American or United Airlines. So the doorbell rings and my buddy from around the corner, a pilot for United Airlines based out of San Francisco, walks into my house. He and my wife embrace. They just start breaking down. And it was a moment and a scene that I will never, ever forget. A flight attendant for American, a pilot for United. Again, the four planes, two were American Airlines, two were United Airlines. And that moment in my kitchen on the morning of 9-11 is something that I will never, ever forget. I remember that week on the radio with Mike Lamb, doing remotes. I remember doing a remote out off Sunrise Boulevard or Sunrise Avenue. Is it Boulevard or Avenue? See, that's how far, how long it's been since I remember being back there. Um, And I remember all of the firefighters that were out on Sunrise with a boot drive and every single person was stopping to put whatever they could into the boots of the firemen. And I remember being on the radio. We didn't talk sports for, I don't know, two weeks. Didn't even bring it up. It wasn't important. Nobody really cared. If you remember, the NFL stopped. Major League Baseball. You had the Yankees playing in the playoffs. And the unbelievable, memorable first pitch thrown by the then president, George Bush. And it was a perfect strike. You remember that great scene of Bush on the megaphone at Ground Zero 
And there were so many things that stood out during those two weeks. But that scene in my kitchen is one that I will never, ever forget. There's also a very unique perspective. The voice of the New York football giants, Bob Papa. Bob has been the longtime voice of the Giants. And that morning, the story that he was able to tell and experience kind of just gives you chills. My guest now, Bob Papa. Bob, September 10th, 2001, you're in Denver with the New York Giants. First game ever of that new stadium. Late night flight, arrive at Newark Airport. Take me through that day on 9-11? Grant, it's, uh, remember like it was yesterday. Um, the team plane landed. Uh, we pull into Newark Airport, and the buses are on the tarmac. It's early in the morning, waiting to take uh, waiting to take the team back to Giant Stadium. But for those of us that live west of the facility or whatever, we would have a car service meet us at the, at the airport. And I lived in Chatham, New Jersey, which is, you know, about 20 minutes west of Newark Airport. So no sense going back to Giant Stadium to get my car. So as myself and several others of the traveling party, you know, we're walking uh, through the jet bridge and out. And um, it was interesting because parked right next to the Giants plane was Flight 93 that was uh, on its way out west. And in all my years of boxing and having a lot of, uh, fights on the West Coast, especially in Sacramento or whatever. I, I flew Flight 93 a lot uh, going out to San Francisco and going out West. And I was friendly with flight attendants. And I, I, I think about it all the time. I think about walking, coming out of the uh, jet bridge into the terminal and Flight 93 and all those passengers waiting to board that flight are sitting there right there and knowing that like the terrorists were like sitting right there. Um, when I think about the events of what happened and I remember going home and, uh, going to sleep, trying to get a little quick nap. I had young kids at the time. I had a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and, uh, mom was out. She had to go somewhere. So there was a babysitter. We had a babysitter come over so I could get a little rest before I had to go to work and watch the little, the little ones. And I remember the babysitter waking me up and saying, you got to come see the TV. Uh, a plane is hit into the world trade center. And I remember getting up and taking a look at this at first thinking that, Oh, you know, it might be one of those small little private prop planes and maybe someone lost their bearing. And then you start to realize the gravity of the situation. And I could still feel the temperature that morning. It was a warm September morning sun was out uh it had that very peaceful sort of end of summer fall is almost there feeling and uh i could still feel the temperature and feel the senses of it all because the town that i lived in chatham uh it has a direct train into manhattan so it's a big wall street town um there are a lot of guys there are a lot of a lot of my friends and neighbors uh all worked on wall street and uh they worked in the financial district. And I remember now as the gravity of the situation is happening and as the second plane hits into the tower, you know, you're starting to realize that this is, this is something tragic and absolutely brutal. 
And I remember the neighborhood that I lived in was, was very, the, the houses were relatively close together. Um, and there was a, a very tight knit community. There was no through road through there. So all of a sudden I remember going out on the back step and seeing my neighbors, uh, the wives kind of running from backyard to backyard holding phones because now you're starting to realize it's got their husband's work down there mm-hmm. and they're all, they're all traders and they're all wall street guys. And they're, you know, have you heard from Patrick? Have you heard from Gary? Have you heard from Donald? Have you, no, I haven't, I haven't no contact with it. So it was a, it was a day of pretty much hysteria because all the cell service was shut down. And one of my buddies actually walked from lower Manhattan up to the George Washington bridge and walked over the George Washington bridge to try to find a way to get home from lower Manhattan back to hmm. Chatham. Um, but it was as surreal a, a morning as I could ever remember. How long was it before the news broke that your broadcast partner and longtime giant Dick Lynch had lost his son in the South Tower? Well, I mean, you know, we knew that Dick's son worked down there. Um, So, obviously, you know, we started thinking about that and clearly was, there was a lot going on in the ensuing day or so and communication was very difficult because of the cell service situation and really finding out what's going on. But, you know, when they start announcing you know where the plane hit and what firms were where you start putting one and one together and you know now your heart start really race and you know there was talk uh over the next day or so if the teams were going to play that weekend and obviously with dick and his son um it was one of those scenarios where i, I i'm not sure that they ever i'm not sure that they ever recovered his body hmm. I, I don't know if to this day, I don't know if the Lynch family ever was able to put that completely to bed, but it wow. was, yeah. And, and then that first game in Kansas City, Dick, when they just when they when they decided to resume the season, uh, I'll never forget when the Giants came running out and they got a standing ovation in Arrowhead Stadium, being from New York and as a representative of, you know, where one of those direct attacks were and the support from the and then Dick just in complete tears in the booth at the beginning of the bra. I mean, he had lost his son in this. It, it, it was one of the most horrific things uh, that we ever had to go through in a broadcast, how to manage that. It's amazing how many stories came to light following nine 11 from giants fans that overslept that morning because you were broadcasting a game in Denver and it was a a late game. There are stories of Giants fans that made the trip to Denver, one in particular that reached out to general manager Ernie Accorsi. And I know you've heard all of these stories, but he worked in the Trade Center, but because he flew to Denver to go to the game, uh, he wasn't there. Uh, And there are so many other stories of fans of the Giants they just went to work late that morning because they were up late watching the game. So the the story was that the New York Giants playing Sunday night in Denver saved lives of some of their fans. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that, I know that is the case. We've heard numerous stories of it, of, of people that, you know, just wound up getting in late because they stayed up late or they were in Denver at the game and they couldn't get back, you know, because there's not a, a red eye out of Denver that you can take. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a million of looks and my, my, one of my closest friends, one of my kids' best friends, his mom, who lived two doors from us, they were up watching the game and she was getting ready to leave for work normal time, but she was sluggish because of the night before. And she was a little forgetful. And when she left the house in Chatham to go to work and she worked there because she had stayed up late watching the game and she was a little forgetful that morning. Uh, when she went out of the house and she was heading to the train, she realized that she forgot her uh, pass to get into the building, her ID. So she had to walk back to her house in Chatham, which meant that she missed the normal train that she would be on, which meant that she got there late and she got there late enough so that she would never got into the building. Um, wow. you know, there's, a, there's a million stories like that. 9-11 affects so many people, all Americans and people around the world. But I've always said this, if you lived in the D.C. area, or particularly New York, and from your perspective, being the radio voice of the Giants, and that facility where you can see the World Trade Center is as clear as day, right from the parking lot, the smoldering of the smoke for weeks and weeks, and then as the season went on, looking across the lower Manhattan and not seeing the towers was a constant reminder. Take me through the first home game and the subsequent arriving to the stadium during the week to watch practice, to do your broadcast preparation, and yet there's still smoke coming from lower Manhattan, and yet the guys have to get together. They have to play football. It's their job. But I can't even imagine what that was like, Bob. Well, I'll give you another visual, Grant, that's even more um, more stark than that. Um, you know, you know the New York metropolitan area is loaded with traffic. So there's a lot of ride share spots where um, people park their cars and then jump on public transportation to get into New York city. Well, giant stadium parking lot is really only used on game days and when there's events. So they created a long time ago, an area in the giant stadium parking lot that was used as a parking jump off point for buses to then quickly get into Manhattan because, you know, the bus lanes from where Giant Stadium was into Manhattan, uh, you know, it's a straight shot in. You know, it's, it's three miles and you're into, you're into Manhattan. <clears throat> so every day you're going to Giant Stadium and you're going to work and the players are going to work and there are these cars that are sitting <clears throat> in this parking area in the parking lot that sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Wow until they were finally removed. And that that's all over New Jersey. They're all different, you know, whether it was in Chatham, where I was living, whether it was in, you know, uh, all different jumping off points, uh, near train stations, near bus stops that had direct bus lines in New York. There were these cars that sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks, almost mm. like ghosts of people who were killed in the tower. And, so you had that one, and you had to drive right by that car parking area to get to where you had to park 
when you went into the building wow. during the uh, in the West Tunnel. So, yeah, it, it was constant reminders. There was that smoldering smoke. They also used Giant Stadium's parking lot um, as a staging ground for um, people that were going in to help dig through the rubble, for supplies that were going in for the first responders. Jim Fossil, um, the late Jim Fossil, who just tragically passed away, and create, in fact, created a foundation for first responders. And that first week, when when they weren't when they you know when the league finally decided that they weren't going to play games on Sunday, I mean the Giants players were chipping in, and Fossil every day was you know they were going over to the harbor in New Jersey and getting on a boat with supplies from Giant Stadium that they were using as a staging ground uh, for first responders. So it was. Hmm. It was one of those deals for that first week. Football didn't matter, and football didn't count, and football was not a priority. Final thing for you, Bob. What do you remember the most about the first home game after 9-11? You know, it's funny. It's certain things you remember crystal clear, and I'll never forget the Giants running out of the tunnel in Kansas City in Arrowhead for that first road game. The home game it was very, it was somber. It was, um, you know, you can, you know, New York city had come together in a way that you hoped would change things forever. And unfortunately, 20 years later, you know, it feels like we've gone to a whole different place. Um, <clears throat> you know, everyone said it would bring us all together. It did for a long time. For a nice period of time, but then life gets in the way. Um, the, the first home game is very cloudy to me in my memory, and I'm not really sure why. I don't know if it's a psychological sort of block out of it as the reality of things kind of set in, uh, but my memory always goes to the game in Kansas City, much less so than being a giant stadium. It's, it's, it's a very bizarre thing that it's something that I don't even really think about all that often. Incredible stories from Bob Poppin. I really thank him uh, for coming on as we look back at 9-11 20 years ago. When you think back to all of the first responders, the police, the firefighters, those that sacrificed their life to try to save another. And the stories that would unfold after 9-11 – I'll tell you what is one of the most sobering, most, um, it just, it it grabs your attention. Go take a walk someday around lower Manhattan and walk by the fire stations, and they're numerous, and they always have their doors open, and right at the entrance to the fire station on the side of the walls are all of the men and women from their particular station that lost their lives that day and it doesn't matter where you are in new york city if you walk by a firehouse in the station or in this city that's what you will see okay you will see a tribute to those from that particular station that lost their lives on 9 11 it's really an incredible uh sobering uh eye-opening hit you right in the gut type of a thing to see the names and the pictures of those that never made it out of the towers 
another part of this story that is just absolutely remarkable. And something else that Bob said about the patriotism and about how the country was after 9-11. I talked about, you know, doing the radio show with Mike Lamb out on remote and seeing everyone being together. And as Bob said, you know, we've kind of lost that a little bit. But I will say this to Bob. He had told me that story before. He has shared that story with me before coming home from Denver and parking right next to Flight 93. And I've talked to many other members of the Giants organization from them and how difficult it was pulling into the parking lot every day when the smoldering was still going on in lower Manhattan. You kept on hearing about all the stories of those that had lost their lives um, and then those that whose lives were spared because the Giants happened to be playing a game on a night in which people went to bed late and they woke up late. It's time for Rant. You know, my rant today is about where we are 20 years later, and Bob alluded to this. I remember a lot from 9-11. I shared my stories. I shared my thoughts. But the one thing that was truly evident, you could feel it, you could touch it, you could sense it, was the camaraderie that we had in this country. And everyone came together. And everyone put their arm around each other. And we all kind of went through the grieving process together. Whether we knew somebody that had lost their life on 9-11 or not, we still were there for them. We were praying for them. And we were a country of patriots for the most part. I really felt the patriotism on 9-11 and after 9-11 for quite a period of time. I will tell you that going to New York, it, it was so evident. I mean, the, the the whole tone of the city changed after 9-11. And back at then, we didn't realize how our lives would change in terms of travel, in terms of security, and we got used to it. And it became the new norm, kind of what we're going through now with the pandemic and now, you know, the masks and the vaccinations and everything else. I mean, you can't go here if you're not vaccinated, but you can go there. It's going to be the new norm and you have to get used to it the same way we got used to all the new rules and laws after 9-11. But my rant is quite simple. What has happened to this country? Why are we so divided in so many instances? Why is there so much hatred in this country? Why is it? I mean, does it take an absolute national disaster to bring the country together? I mean, it really was so together for a period of time. And then as Bob pointed out, you know, he he used the phrase, life gets in the way. Well, I I just hate that. I hate the fact that, you know, I, I did a rant on this yesterday. I'm looking at all the brawls in the stadiums. I mean, it's almost like on a nightly basis. You see the video of fans just having melees in the stadium. Like, what the hell is that all about? Seriously. Like, you can't go to the game without getting into a fight. You see fights on airplanes now. You see fights in airports. I mean, you see fights on streets. People are losing their minds. And the the country is divided right now. And, yeah, listen, I'm not going to get into politics, okay? Because at the end of the day, you're either a person or that's what you are. You're a person. You're an animal. I mean, what the hell are you? Are you a human being or not, right? You're going to blame it on politics? You're going to blame it on your president or you're going to blame it on your governor? How about taking control of your life, right? How about, like, doing what is right? 
I've always preached that on this podcast. There's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. And you're either a good person or you're not a good person. To me, it's really that simple. I hate when people blame their politicians. Stop blaming the politicians. Get off your ass and do something about it. And it really doesn't take a lot of effort to be nice to the person next to you. All right? You can't blame that on the politician. When you get in a fight at the stadium, okay, because you've had too much to drink, it's not the fault of a politician. Okay, when you get into a fight on an airplane, it's not the fault of a politician. Look at the freaking mirror and do some self-examination. The thing that bothers me as we celebrate, shouldn't even say celebrate because we commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. What we should do is continue to remember and never forget because I never forget. And I've said this for 20 years and I'm going to keep on saying it. You know, people around the country will forget about 9-11 unless they see it on TV or there's a memory. But if you live in New York City and you travel to New York and now you see the Freedom Tower instead of the World Trade Centers, it is a constant reminder. You know, if you drive by the Pentagon every day in Washington, D.C., it's a constant reminder. But again, for the New Yorkers that don't have those Twin Towers anymore, that continue to live and work in the New York metropolitan area, every single day, day 9-11 is a constant reminder it's never ever forgotten and i think that's the difference between living in that region of the country as opposed to let's say albuquerque new mexico not saying the people in albuquerque don't care i'm not saying they're not compassionate but they don't have the daily reminder but again the the division in this country i mean i don't want to see another national disaster to have to bring everyone together again i really don't but never forget never forget Never forget 9-11. And again, never forget those that sacrificed their lives on 9-11. And never forget the passengers on those airplanes. And don't forget about the first responders that never came out of the building. And don't forget about the moms and the dads and the brothers and the sisters and the aunts and the uncles that left for work that morning and never came home. Never made it home. There are so many heroes from that day. So many heroes heroes from 9-11. Hard to believe it has been 20 years ago. My thanks to Bob Papa. There are so many other people that I actually spoke to in getting ready for this podcast. And I was like, I'm just going to give you my memories, my thoughts. And I thought that this being, for the most part, a sports podcast, Bob's story, boy, that's something to hear what they went through landing at Newark Airport on 9-11-2001, next to Flight 93. Really appreciate you joining me on this podcast. Have yourself a good weekend. It's always great to have you here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.